Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Cloud Spotting. Uh, hopefully you might even be listening to this on your commute, as I know many folk are starting to return to the office, which for some of us with uh, with a shorter commute isn't so bad. And for those with uh, with an hour and a half, maybe uh, working at home and not having to worry about the uh, <laughs> the distance between the living room and your bedroom <laughs> is, a, is a bit more pleasant. Sai, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Um, I'm assuming I'm you haven't good. been traveling the globe during the summer? Yeah. I've been doing virtual traveling, ah. looking at YouTube videos of some people who have already traveled before. <gasps> that sounds like an amazing idea. You could just have like a beach scene on your big telly. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And put some towels on the floor in the living room. That's it. It's just the same, really. Only, this I mean, is... compared to British weather, there's less rain. So there's that. But yeah. sit next to the tub. Imagine you're next to the pool. <laughs> have a drink. You just need to convince your better half to like bring you drinks. Uh, up to the up to the bathroom <laughs> exactly exactly and that's going to be a tricky bit <laughs> now i've been good i've been good it's been it's been yeah it has been some time since we've done the last uh, episode how's things going working from home how are you feeling not bad at all uh yeah still still extremely busy uh we're definitely seeing well lots of customers who are looking to do new projects which is really exciting and certainly keeping the team busy uh so yeah it's been it's been very interesting but enough about me <laughs> what about what we're talking about today? That's that's a good point. It's a good point. Um, if you remember, we've kind of started talking about this a while ago. So long ago that it was almost our first episode. Oh, right. It's been a good two years um, since we started our first episode. And we're kind of revisiting it, but not exactly in the same capacity, but we, we're kind of revisiting it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember, we talked about e-commerce in the first episode, and we and we specifically focused on uh, things like auto scaling and load balancing, specifically for things like Black Friday. So performance well, managing your e-com environment. Exactly, exactly. So what we're going to do today is we have some amazing guests, a return guest as well. In that, did it a surprise build up, um, and we are going to talk about e-commerce again. But from a different perspective, we're going to talk about business perspective. We're going to look at how it affects businesses and how businesses have affected the way e-commerce solutions have evolved. Saying that, let me introduce our three guests. We have Wesley, Larry, and Will. Guys, say hello and please give you give an introduction to yourself. Hi, guys. My name is Wesley Lomax. I'm a digital solution architect at Rackspace. Uh, I'm a relatively new racker. I joined in November 2019. Uh, before Rackspace, I worked at Sitecore in the EMEA professional services team as a solution architect. And before that, I was an independent Sitecore consultant working around the UK and Europe, engaging on a number of projects across many industries with uh, covering travel, fintech, charities and retail. Oh, fantastic. Thanks, Wes. And just for, for our listeners who haven't come across Sitecore in the past, what's Sitecore about or what does it do? What does Sitecore do? Uh, Sitecore is a digital experience platform. And part of that platform, they've got uh, the basic sort of content management piece. They have the digital experience piece where you have uh, analytics, personalization, but they also have a e-commerce section as well, which uh, which is quite popular. And we do a lot of sales for in Rackspace and hence why I'm on the podcast, I think. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. A man with experience. Uh, so Larry, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is uh, Larry Howe. Uh, thanks for having me on. Really excited about it. Um, I actually am a two-tour racker. The racker's so nice, I got hired twice. Um, I uh, 
I originally started my career actually selling pet food. Nobody believes me when I say that, but I literally, so when people talk about dog fooding, I have a double entendre there for how that applies to my career. <laughs> and uh, then I got into sales and tech and sort of moved up through the support and operations side. Really liked uh, when I got my hands on a keyboard, really liked it, sort of uh, kept going. And then uh, did a brief tour at uh, Pearson Education. And I just came back to uh, run the e-commerce, the digital commerce initiative for Rackspace internally. So I'm the product manager now over that for uh, Rackspace. That's awesome. Thank you, Larry. A boomeracker, as we like to say in the UK. That was yep. going to say, boomeracker indeed. Fantastic. <laughs> and Will. Hi there, guys. So my name's Will Parsons. I am a portfolio architect at Rackspace. I'm a relatively old racker with uh, <laughs> uh, about 12 years on the clock now. Uh, I was going to so... say, you're not, you're not that old in terms of like age for a racker. <laughs> <You know? laughs> There's not well, enough gray hair for you to say that, I think. I'm older than I look, but I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> so, uh, yes, um, I started a Rackspace back in 2008 as a, as a fairly junior sysadmin, um, sort of Linux, uh, LAMP stack uh, kind of stuff. Um, working my way through, I, I, I developed a, a bit of a, an interest in Magento as a platform and as a uh from the sysadmin side it tended to need a lot of massaging to to work well uh, in the early days so yeah i just developed a lot of experience there and we we actually formed a team of uh four of us who were doing just that so we were helping customers uh, troubleshoot issues scale out design their platforms for magento so uh that's been been across the board really from from the smallest startups to the some of the biggest enterprise uh, deployments that we've seen um after that, I've, I've been a lead engineer in service delivery, so really working with customers at a more operational and strategy level. And uh, for the past couple of years, I've been working as a, an architect. So similar sort of thing, but with, with new customers designing platforms to, to run their, their apps and, and retaining the, the kind of specialism for Magento platforms. Awesome. Thank you, Will. And for anybody who, uh, who wants to learn a bit more about what is a portfolio architect... We actually have an episode on that. It was only a couple of episodes ago, so check out the stream for that. Um, Will, for anybody who hasn't come across Magento before, can you just explain, uh, you know, what is the Magento platform all about? It is an open source uh, LAMP-based, Apache, PHP, Linux, uh, MySQL-based application uh, for e-commerce, really. So it's uh, because it's open source and, and it's free for the community edition, it's very popular with, uh, with startups. Um, and there are sort of more enterprise features as well in, in the in the enterprise editions. Uh, it's been around for ooh, quite a long time now, um, probably about as long as I've been a racker, if not if not longer. <laughs> um, so uh, yes, it's certainly evolved uh, over the years to encompass a lot of functionality, um, more integrations, a very rich ecosystem with with extensions and and third party add-ons. So. Yeah, it's it's quite a it's quite an ecosystem. And that was one of the things, actually, without going off topic, but that was one of the things we discussed, I think, at length in our previous episode when we had you on as a guest when we were talking about those extensions and plugins and impact on performance and those kind of things. So, if you want to learn a bit more about that, uh, go all the way back to our very first episode from 2018. Uh, <laughs> still just as relevant today. <laughs> still relevant, indeed, indeed. And, and it makes sense, actually. It's a perfect segue because I was gonna. My first point that I wanted to talk about was exactly that. Uh, we, we always see startups and we see um, we talk about e-commerce uh, from an auto-scaling and performance perspective. But just an open question to start off with, why do startups look towards e-commerce 
Um, is it more driven from what's happening now with COVID and the need to focus more on online sales? Uh, how have you guys seen uh, startups embracing e-commerce? That's a good question, Sai. So, but I think I think every company is an online company these days, right? And I think mm-hmm. the technology that's come in now and the ability for, for anyone in their bedroom to spin up a website and use e-commerce platforms and to sell online, the, the barriers to entry, uh, you know, they're virtually zero now. Um, when you look at competing, like setting up your own shop, you know, it's like a bricks and mortar retailer. I mean, it's much more, it's much easier for people to get in and compete now. And there's a whole array of technology spun up around that to service the, you know, the small one-man bag. As you say, the thing I would add to that too, I think um, a lot of it has to do with the the need to make your business not, uh, to insulate your business from regionalized issues, right? If you're an e-commerce business, you're a global business. And if you are a brick and mortar business, you're limited by the economy in your area, right? That's not necessarily a terrible thing, but it can, it's another risk to the business. And frankly, there's enough of those to go around right now. I think that a lot of folks are realizing that engaging e-com gives them the ability to scale, you know, to be able to, to support more customers, but also to just mitigate some of the business risk of having your business all located in one area. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a really good point. So if you start talking about what e-commerce has done for startups, I think uh, Shopify is a great example, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 really interesting because in the early days, you know, you would you would have to have a website. You'd have to build a website, and typically you're going to use a, a framework like Magento to to uh, give you the building blocks. Um, nowadays, you don't have to do that so much because there are a lot of these SaaS platforms uh, around. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you you can build a website in an afternoon with a lot of these, um, whether mm-hmm. it's a standard sort of website builder or whether it's a really um, more direct platform like Shopify, um, it, it's very easy for startups to, to just do that. I suppose when you want more control over the functionality of the site and how things are, are presented and, and, and integrated, that's typically when, when people are going to st- still you know, rely on, on their own application stacks. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And even, even those application stacks, though, we're seeing... Um, a move of software vendors towards sassifying their applications for e-com platforms, mm. aren't we? So if I take something like Sitecore, um, mm-hmm. they are now providing a you know a managed service example for their customers. So rather than having to necessarily run it on-prem or run it in, the, in uh, infrastructure as a service yourself, um, you then have the option to effectively consume it and then just um, modify and adjust it. Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. I and mean, they've been working hard on that in the last few years to give you uh, to give you essentially a turnkey platform, right? So you can spec out your sizes, your regions, you know, how much traffic you expect to take. Um, and then, then people will, well, fuckers, <laughs> will, uh, will stand that up for you, you know, but you're taking away a lot of the operational complexity from the end user. And it's not quite a SaaS product, but, you know, you get, you know, you get lots of control, but you get a lot of the complexity taken away. And I think the interesting thing there is with any of these, where it's a more, let's say, a more mature ISV who has an offering that is now moving into that SaaS world. I think one of the interesting benefits that um, customers have in consuming those is that there's an ecosystem already there, isn't there? Um, so they can consume plugins, they can consume um, extensions and other bits and pieces of of, of prefix code effectively that they can then bolt mm-hmm. into those sites that they're building out on the SaaS platform, but at the same time, not having to worry about anything underneath it. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, there's, there's people that make a joke that there's a bunch of 
WordPress plugins that have gone on to be like uh, 100 million startups like Stripe yes. or payment processing, but solving small problems, not small problems, right? Like payment processing is complex, but solving these problems and building like uh, platforms around platforms and they turn mm -hmm. into huge, huge companies. So, uh, so there's a lot of opportunity not you know around these platforms spinning out as well so uh, I, I remember it. four years ago i was in a, in a customer meeting and we were in there with um one of the customers development partners and somebody handed me their business card from the development partner and the title said wordpress engineer it's like <laughs> it's cloning a whole new ecosystem of roles as well uh, yeah no that's fascinating i mean uh, yeah there's too many jokes about WordPress, but uh, yeah, that's, that's an <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> it's an interesting title. But I mean, WordPress is another one that runs what, like 75% of the internet. Now. Mm. There's, a, there's the WooCommerce plugin for that as well. But again, it's just, you know, it's opening up technology to people who wouldn't have had access a number of years back. And it's fascinating what people do and run with that. Right? There, I think there can be a bit of a double-edged sword because on the one hand, it's great that you can build these things with with no uh, coding experience, really, uh, no no knowledge of that, no uh, need to, to get under the hood. Uh, but if things aren't working as they should, if you get bugs or unexpected behavior or or you know extensions that somehow clash with each other and don't don't quite play nicely, that's the point where you do need your WordPress engineer or you know someone who really does have that deeper experience of the platform and, and how to troubleshoot it because it, it, it can be too easy and when it's too easy you can have problems and suddenly you don't have the the expertise to fix them so you know let's imagine I'm I'm a I'm a customer or I'm a I'm an organization and I'm looking for a new e-com platform because either I am a startup so I'm coming at this for the first time or maybe I've already got a platform and I'm starting to reach the limits of either my knowledge or capability or maybe the platform's knowledge or capability, depending on the application. Where do I go from here? How do I decide where I'm going? What am I looking for? Once you get into them kind of questions, you're looking at a platform that's got uh, like history and market traction, I think. You need something that can scale uh, to sort of much larger numbers, something that's going to handle the performance level that you're looking for. But once you're, once you're out of the SaaS model, you're looking at something where you can customize essentially, and you might have tighter control over the platform and you're looking at your integrations, but you might want some fine green control over what you can do with it. So there's always the balance between um, something nice and simple and easy. If I take my iPhone as the example. Um, yes, I mean, that just works, right? My walled garden, but mm -hmm. equally it, it works and I know what I'm going to get out of it. Um, mm -hmm. But if I really want to, you know, start messing about with it, then probably I want an Android phone in this example, and and I can then exactly. start customizing away, and then I can root it and so forth. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a great analogy, to be honest. Uh, and it all depends how much control you want in the platform, right? Yeah, and does it does it actually? I mean, one thing that I've come across is we 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 talk about e-commerce, and it's it's a generic idea that e-commerce is essentially a B two C. Right, you're looking for a massive, massive iPhone. But what is the difference? I mean, when you start talking about e-commerce, it's not just B2C. We talk about B2B solutions as well. Uh, so, you guys, have you guys come across any differences or nuances in this in an e-commerce platform focused around B2B businesses? I'd say so. Um, a lot of the time, when you're when you're looking at B2C. Um, uh, uh, the performance and scalability 
questions are more to do with how much of it can you cache and serve from uh, from a fast cache like Varnish or from a CDN edge, even better. When you're dealing with B2B, usually all of your clients are going to be logged in. They, they're going to be ha having profiles, recent orders, um, reordering mm -hmm. things they've already ordered. So the experience to them is going to be much more tailored uh, Yes, there's certainly an element of that with B2C with your with your logged in customers. But when you're talking about the scale, it's normally the non logged in customers that you're you're really scaling for, because that's going right. to be the, the, the large number. So with B2B, um, there's all sorts of cool things that you can do with um, with JavaScript and, and edge side includes and things like that. But when you are B2B, you probably can't cache as much because the content is more likely to be uh, tailored to that customer or that client of yours. Possibly so real you, time as well. Yeah, so you might well just need to uh, significantly beef up your your infrastructure, your database layer, especially because there's going to be a lot more uh, a lot more load at that lower level. Yeah, I think like combining sort of this question with our previous conversation around um you know scaling and and the the reaching the limits of your platform that sort of thing i think it's important to gen generally when approaching e-commerce think about it from a strategic perspective at least somebody in your organization needs to be doing that and this is the product manager talking so there's probably a little bit of that filtering in here but um if you're not thinking about things like your target consumer and the experience that they're going to want, right? And and a B2B customer has very different um, needs than a B2C customer, right? B2B customer is going to be less price sensitive. They're going to do a lot more research than most B2C customers, right? They're a lot more B2C customers are a lot more impulse driven than uh, B2B customers. I think it's important to like take a step, evaluate the, for example, when looking at platforms, what are the strategic differentiators you need in your e-commerce platform? And then does your vendor that you're reviewing do that thing really well, right? There's differences between the different platforms, customization and um, lack of flexibility being two opposite ends of the spectrum. Which of those do you need? Do you really need full customization or is that just going to be headache, technical debt down the road? Can you have a managed partner come in and help with a more flexible offering because you need more flexibility to be able to offer some sort of unique value prop, something like that. That piece, I think a lot of people sort of skip step one, which is just understand what it is that you're trying to drive with your e-commerce platform first, how that fits into your business, and then have proceed uh, beyond that. I think you make a great point there about technical debt. Um, now, I've seen this with so many customers, but I've even seen this with, you know, for example, um, uh, personal organizations that I'm aware of, you know, outside of work, where they have uh, their, you know, family run long term businesses, they're taking their first steps into uh, uh, digitizing their, their platforms and so forth, and what they were doing historically. Mm -hmm. And maybe a few years ago, they made decisions where they've gone down a custom route, and they've gone to a local developer, and they've got, you know, all this custom code written. Now, all of a sudden, they've got themselves locked in to this developer specifically, who is now um, managing all of their changes moving forward, providing all support for that platform. So if you're then in a position where you're not getting the level of support that you need, or you're unable to make changes at the rate that you want, and you know those kinds of things, what do you do then? Because you're then in a position where, okay, do we continue to invest in this existing platform? Um, try and find somebody else to pick up this code, you know, work with another company who's willing to take on bespoke code and, and hack it up and work out what's going on with it? Or do you effectively kind of 
um, throw away the investment you've made in that platform to date, and then make the decision to move towards something that's you know um, more broad brush support. I think that's one of the reasons my, I reckon Wesley why you know to your point about WordPress. The reason everybody uses WordPress is not only do the you know many 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 hosting companies provide it, but it's just the support for everything that lives in that ecosystem. And so you know mm. you can go from any provider to any other provider and still be able to get that functionality, get that thing working, you know, move it about. You you're not losing that portability, I suppose, is a, is my point. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And when you're evaluating platforms, I think one of the key things to look at is the the size of the, the developer resource around it, right? The pool of developers. Because like you say, the, it's a great example where someone rolls their own platform, but then no one understands it. You've got no portability. Mm -hmm. But where you've got widely adopted platforms with huge sort of agency community built up around it, I mean, there might be some learning curve between, you know, if you go between agency and agency, but like the underlying platform, they'll know. So there's a, there's a smaller learning curve and you'll have portability and more longevity of your platform, hopefully, right? <laughs> and that's a very valid point as well. I mean, we, when we talk about uh, homegrown e-commerce solutions, now we, we're sort of going into the realm of does an organization size affect that route? So for example, if it's a big org, if you have started off uh, with a small business and grown up into a larger business, would you then go down the path of buying a a, a pre-built e-commerce solution off the shelf that can be supported by any developer? Or would you go down the route of having a developer build something on WordPress? And it also comes to the question of managed services. I know, Larry, you mentioned managed services coming playing a part when you do the B2B, B2C conversation as well. How big is managed services a part of a e-commerce solution decision that an organization needs to make? Um, either they're going in new or if they're revamping and, and sort of entering the digital market. I'll take a shot at the managed services question, Sai. Um, I think that the the answer in general with managed services is what do you want to worry about? Right? Like you, you can choose to be concern yourself with the minutiae of running a platform, for example. But this is true of any piece of technology or really any part of your business, for example, right? I don't run the wiring through my house because I'm not that's not my area of expertise. I let somebody do that for me, right? Um, mm -hmm. it's just a matter of that's just one of the things I don't care to to focus myself on. And I think a lot of um that's how I I have the conversation with uh, customers around um, e-commerce. The question is, do you need someone to manage the complexity of running an e-commerce storefront, setting up an e-commerce storefront, or is that something that you prefer to to move to somebody else? Using a, a parlance of one of our biggest partners, um, undifferentiated heavy lifting is a common Ooh. phrase in that space, isn't it? And I managed to get that out <laughs> without stuttering, which I'm impressive. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That that makes complete sense. And and when we're talking about this, uh, when we talk about functionality, and when we talk about companies that look at services, um, how frequently do they change? So, for example, uh, I've heard someone say, "Well, we started off going on e-commerce, and when we had a we had a, a equal split between companies uh, customers coming into our stores versus customers coming online, and then." Lately, in the last year, uh, with, with COVID and even before that, with the, with the whole rise of internet technologies and, and, the, and the reach of internet, a lot of people have come back and said, well, our e-commerce user hits have sort of gone through the roof. So which was probably four years ago, which was a, a or three years ago, rather, 
a Black Friday event where you would get thousands of visitors, we're now seeing thousands of visitors every day. So is that what we're seeing across the board? Are we seeing like a Black Friday type event every day? I think so. Um, it's the unpredictability of, of the world that we're in right now. Um, Black Friday, at least uh, you, you know when it's going to be and, and you could scale for it, mm. ideally automatically, but but you could at least provision for it. Um, you know, now, as soon as some government advice changes, suddenly everyone needs to wear face masks. Suddenly, if you sell face masks, it's Black Friday for you. So uh, it's those kinds of uh, changes that really no one talked about until this year uh, when, when, when the world changed. You, you need to be able to be agile for that and, and ideally automatically because you might not even know what the drivers are going to be. Um, mm-hmm. just, you don't want to wake I, up at two in the morning with your phone going off because your platform's falling. Yeah, yeah, because, platform's dead. Because yeah, you I hit think... the front page of Reddit for some reason or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think hopefully we're, we seem to be over the panic buying that we saw in in you know back in march and april but even even then we you know you don't know what products are suddenly going to become important um and of course you you may need to be able to pivot your business to to provide those so um you know i've noticed that almost all of the the online fashion retailers are also selling designer fancy face masks now uh, whereas that wasn't the case even a few months ago mm-hmm. and perfume mm-hmm. manufacturers switching to creating hand gels and things like that was another yeah, yeah. you guys are I giving me ideas for the next space is e-commerce <laughs> <laughs> but i think what was quite interesting we've seen a huge uptake in the uk in uh, grocery stores right and online yeah. uh, food suppliers they had like a triple or quadruple traffic to their websites and they reintroduced queuing systems to websites which i haven't seen for like a decade right so even <laughs> Even with cloud scale behind it, these platforms were just too busy to handle the traffic. And you were looking at sometimes like a couple of hour wait to access a website. It's just, it's mind blowing. I don't know, I mean, maybe they need some help with their backend systems. But uh, but like you say, global events or any like event, these things mm. can change traffic profiles overnight. And if you don't have the sort of the, the ability to manage that yourself, then that's where you need you know, a team of experts to help you with that. Mm-hmm. I think that goes back to Will's point as well about um, the back end in some of those types of systems is absolutely critical to the scalability. So databases, you know, being one simple example of that. Um, you know, if I go to insert shop name here dot com, my local supermarket. Um, when you even when just trying to add things to baskets and those kinds of things, you're actually even seeing you know performance challenges there. So having pre thought about what happens if this does scale. And having a solution in place that allows it to scale up on demand or that has, you know, in-memory based caching mechanisms and other things that can just help to almost get over the hump of when this hit comes um, that, and, and then still giving you the ability to then, you know, maybe adjust your platform later on when you then know that that's going to continue on that kind of a vein. Yeah, I was going to say one thing I think is interesting, at least uh, it, it's speaking of again a bit to the B2B versus B2C um, differences the um we've seen kind of a change in behavior a little bit of customers like we've seen let me rephrase an increase in customers that are interested in um a combination 
hybrid human and digital experience, which is a bit of a change from how a lot of things have worked before. I can't speak to this as a broader industry trend, but just speaking from my own experience of seeing uh, in our space, it's a fairly complex sale, right? We're dealing with managed services. We're dealing with servers, specs, things like that. There's a lot of questions that come with that. So customers want to get as far as they can on their website. And sometimes they still have questions, but like integrating the need to get help with the actual purchase process is a very hard thing to get right, but also very critical in the world where so much commerce has moved online. Um, a lot of a lot of folks also neglect that when they're talking about e-commerce. They they focus on an exclusively um, unassisted digital sale and don't think about like, hey, if the customer still has questions, how do they get answers? And then how do you close them after that? Right? You can, once they once you have them ready to buy, you got to be able to 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 close the deal right then. That piece I think doesn't uh, get uh, doesn't get a lot of attention. Hundred percent, and and the flip side actually, you, you just made me think there, is when if, especially in the B two B space, uh, more and more businesses want to reduce the amount of effort required administratively, and so if you're working on a B two B platform, you should be thinking about automation and how can your customers automate their things using your platform. So providing things like APIs um, to customers. Uh, is actually a, a, an incredibly important thing when you're working in that B2B space because they will want to be able to programmatically consume your services. And if you can have your end clients doing that, all of a sudden your consumption, you know, may that with ease of access becomes ease of consumption and therefore ease of consumption makes greater sales for your business. Um, so thinking in advance of, okay, when I create, let's say I am creating a new plugin or let's say I'm creating a new bespoke site, whatever it is, um, thinking about programmatic access to that internally within the platform when I'm writing, let's say, a microservice, but also mm -hmm. how would I write that in a secure fashion that I could then potentially open that up to the outside world as well to use? Yeah, it's a very, very interesting point. And, and it kind of loops back to an earlier point we made where functionality is now driving selection. So, for example, if, if I was a, a business that's sort of looking at an e-commerce solution, I think a... a Big functionality would be exactly that, auto-scaling. So it needs to scale up and scale down so I don't have to wake up at 2 in the morning and fix my website. But at the same time, I need to be able to give programmatic access. So with, with kind of that in mind, this is probably a question for Wes and Will. How has e-commerce solutions sort of changed? Uh, have they adapted that change in the customer's expectation and created kind of products that would build it, pre-build it essentially, or, or have it done? Or is it still something that needs to be done manually and customized? There's a, Cycle has got a few kind of products that, that tackle this problem. There's, but I think there's been a big push in commerce generally to like headless commerce. So you've got the, so you're just serving up just content as, uh, as kind of Alex mentioned over API and then letting the user kind of build their own front end. Now there's advantages from performance uh, point of view there, but it's also flexibility. So you're not tying people like a couple of years back to specific technology stacks or specific uh, implementation details. You're just giving people like, look, here's the data you go down, you don't want with it. And then there's also APIs back into the system to carry on like the purchase path or whatever, you know, and then, Analytics. So Cycle does quite a good job of like personalization of content uh, to to B two C B two C like any kind of profiling we can do with customers, and they've over the last few years exposed virtually all of that right, for APIs. So you can tie in like, multi channels. So you can have point of sales. You can have your web. You can have mobile apps. So you're looking at a lot of different delivery 
platforms and integration mm-hmm. platforms back in. So it's much more of a like the, the concept of just a website. I think what Larry mentioned earlier, it's much more of a digital experience across a company's many touch points rather than just logging onto a website. You know, times have changed in that aspect. Multi-channel being so important there, actually, because the last <laughs> thing you want to do is be turning up in a bricks and mortar store and buying something that somebody else then buys online. There was only one left. What happens then? So all of that needs to be tightly integrated, especially for things like stock systems. But there's also, you know, so many other versions of that uh, on, on various types of customers. Indeed, indeed. Alex, shall we move to our uh, our exciting section of the podcast? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, we come to what is al- almost always my favorite part of the show, which sounds a bit backwards, but you know, never mind. Uh, <laughs> um, which is our book recommendation section. So uh, I'm sure we've prepared you adequately in advance of you coming on to record the show today that um, we ask all of our guests to give us a book recommendation, something they've read recently or something they've read in the past, which could be could be work related, could not. Um, but if you if you'd like to share with us and our listeners something that you would you would put on the table, put on your coffee table for when your guests come <laughs> around and they're like, "Ooh, that looks really interesting." Um, what about you, Will? Would it, read anything of uh, good of late? Um, I've been reading Jackie Stewart's autobiography. It's not very technical, oh. but it's uh, it's it's really interesting to see how much change you know one man was able to drive from the inside of 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 his industry being you know sport of formula one so uh yeah it's uh it's it's quite an interesting one. Oh, fantastic thank you will we'll definitely put that in the show notes what about yourself larry yeah i've actually got two one professional and one uh just for fun the uh professional one is it's pretty technical but i, I like the uh, google sre handbook i will always recommend anybody who works uh, anywhere around systems read that book you you will probably read like 50 at least 50 percent of it you'll be like i could probably not do that in my organization but it at least aspiring to it is is sufficient in a lot of cases. But the uh, the for fun one is actually um, a book called uh, The Devil in the White City by uh, Eric Larson, who is one of the best historian writers I've ever. He writes history like it's fiction. Fiction. It's so uh, engaging. Um, it is about H. H. Holmes, who was one of the most prolific serial killers in Chicago. So I will preface that with it is not light, night, not light subject uh, matter. But man, is it a fantastic read. Good bedtime reading awesome. if you want some nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for anybody on the on the SRE front as well, if you want to learn a bit more about SRE and and uh, kind of whet your appetite before reading the book, we actually did an episode on that. So uh, this is like the second or third plug I put in this episode. <laughs> What's going on? We never know what we did that. You're on a roll, my friend. On a, on a plug and roll. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so uh, we actually did an episode uh, with a, one of our SREs, uh, I think it was about a year ago, so if you just roll mm-hmm. on back through our historical episodes, we have an episode on SRE and some of the things you need to think about, some of the advantages of adopting those types of methodologies. Um, and yeah, thank you very much, Larry. Fantastic. Wes. Hi. Uh, I like uh, Outliers, the story of success by Malcolm Gladwell. Ah. It looks at kind of nature versus nurture and like, what creates uh success but there's a whole bunch of fascinating case studies like bill gates is one of them there was canadian hockey players like rich versus poor use and it looks at it builds a really fascinating profile around each case and you know why were they successful and a lot of the time it's luck or circumstance or it just happened to be a set of scenarios but yeah it's quite thought-provoking and uh, i found it interesting i completely concur i've read that as well uh my the thing you mentioned around the hockey players was really yeah. interesting it was about the Super difference between 
um, whether you come in at the start of a school year or the end yeah. of a school year based yeah, yeah, on your yeah. age. I think it was about 90% of professional hockey players in Canada were born in like September, October, November because they yeah. were physically stronger. They got in the better teams and then because yep. they had more training, it just like a compound effect. Exactly. But like, yeah, like there's a whole bunch of really interesting stats and scenarios in this. It's uh, it's worth uh, I actually listened to it. I cheated. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely worth looking up because, uh, yeah, it's there's some interesting stuff in there. That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you, Wes. Um, so for all of our listeners out there uh we hope you folks have enjoyed the episode and have gained from it um i think the key point here is just to really have given you a few things to think about if you're going down the route of e-commerce or um, if you're actually looking to expand on your platforms the kind of things that you should be considering as you pick your next platform or look to further develop on the existing uh, i want to thank wesley will and larry you guys have been fantastic guests thank you yep thank you guys and, thanks for having us so thank you all for listening to the show. As always, you can find us on the socials at Spotting Clouds via Twitter. Um, you can actually access our stream now on cloudspotting.fireside.fm. We've done a slight change. And as you can hear in the background, uh, our puppy has decided she's going to tell you what the address is. Um, you can finally, just if you want to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be absolutely amazing because that helps us to... Uh, grow the listener base and helps to uh, share more of interesting knowledge with different people across the industry. Um, thanks very much, everybody. Thank you to our wonderful guests again, and we'll catch you guys next time. <laughs>